African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us here for another installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Well, today on our program, we'll be discussing the unilateral decision by South Sudanese President Salva Kiir to increase the number of states from 10 to 28. But before we get that, let's uh, actually start off with the news from Onel Nsinzi. And we take a look at your headlines. Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto seeks to have his Crimes Against Humanity case terminated. The Democratic Republic of Congo takes rape allegations against soldiers deployed as peacekeepers in the Central African Republic seriously. And a large police contingent has been deployed to Votes University in South Africa following a student protest. There are two rulings to be done. Now with your latest news, Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and radio journalist Joshua Sang uh, Sang are at the International Criminal Court today seeking to have their crimes against humanity cases terminated. Both Ruto and Sang are expected to be in court in person for the next four days. The two face crimes against humanity charges for the violence that erupted after the 2007-2008 post-election violence in Kenya in which 1,300 people were killed and Thousands were displaced. Both deny the charges. Sarah Kimani has more. There are two rulings to be delivered. One on an all case to answer and the other on an appeal by both Ruto and Sang on the decision by the judges to use recanted evidence. A favorable ruling will see the two walk free. If that fails, then the two will be called to their defense. Chief Prosecutor Fatou Bensouda called 29 witnesses, some of whom either withdrew or recanted their testimonies. If the case is dropped, it will be a blow to the ICC, which has only heard two successful convictions. A Democratic Republic of Congo official says the country is trying to take seriously allegations that several of its soldiers deployed as peacekeepers in the Central African Republic committed rape. The Democratic Republic of Congo has a battalion of about 800 soldiers and 123 police officers with the UN mission in the Central African Republic. Last August, three soldiers in that battalion were accused of raping three female civilians, including one minor. DRC President Personnel Representative charged with the fight against sexual violence, Janine Mabunda, says a number of DRC soldiers have been convicted of sexual offenses in the past 18 months. 
South Africa's Higher Education Minister Bladen Zimande has called on education stakeholders to support the commission that President Jacob Zuma has appointed to investigate how best to fund higher education. Zimande will meet student leaders on Thursday. The meeting comes as students at several universities vow to intensify their campaign for free education. Zimande elaborates. What we are saying to the students and parents, by the way, because we also would like parents to play a role here, is that let's give this commission appointed by the president space to be able to investigate the modalities, including the missing middle that we've been talking about, those who do not qualify for NESFAS, but at the same time are not rich. Meanwhile, a large police contingent has been deployed to Wurz University following a student protest. Students on the Bramfontein campus in Johannesburg are demanding free higher education and the scraping of registration fees. Shashi Naidu has more. Dozens of heavily armed SAPS and Metro Police officers are stationed at both entrances of the Wits University's main campus in Bramfontein. They've been called in after students embarked on their second day of protest action. Students continue to chant while holding up placards, calling for registration fees to be scrapped and for higher education to be made free. However, the university has urged all students to register online via the university website and telephonically. And finally, worsening drought in Zimbabwe has dried up water holes, crops and pasture as the country experiences its worst drought since the one in 1991-1992, which killed more than one million cattle. Zimbabwe is one of many countries feeling the strain of El Nino, which has dried up rainfall across southern Africa over the last year. The World Food Programme said last month that millions of Zimbabweans require food assistance this year from organizations that may be able to assist while they is no assistance in sight for the dying livestock. Now recapping on your top stories, Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto seeks to have his crimes against humanity case terminated. The Democratic Republic of Congo takes rape allegations against soldiers deployed as peacekeepers in the Central African Republic seriously and a large police contingent has been deployed to Wurz University in South Africa following a student protest. Channel Africa News. Well, thank you for that news update uh, that was on Elensinti there. Uh, remember, we want to hear from you, so you do uh, have the opportunity to send us an SMS. You can send us an SMS on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's our SMS line. Or you can actually give us your views at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. We can engage there and you can give us your views. Today we're speaking uh, on South Sudan, so you can hashtag S Sudan. Hashtag S Sudan. Do you think that uh, we should see the increase of the number of states from 10 to 28, which is the new decision that uh, is actually underway and actually has been highlighted by the South Sudanese President Salva Kiir? So give us your views at African Dialogue at Channel Africa One with the hashtag S Sudan. The unilateral decision by South Sudanese President Salva Kiir to increase the number of states from 10 to 20 has triggered varying reactions from rebel leader Rek Machar and the country's constitutional and legal experts. Kiir's decision comes at a time when South Sudan is preparing to set up a government of national unity at the beginning of February. Now to discuss this, we are joined on the line first by Dr. Martin Rupia, who is a researcher from the Institute of 
of African Renaissance Studies at the University of South Africa. Dr. Martin Rupia, thank you for joining us on our program. Thank you for having me. Now let's look at this particular development. We know that it was announced late last year. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we know about this idea of increasing the states from 10 to 28 in South Sudan. Right. Very briefly, we have a civil war ongoing in South Sudan as we speak. Yes. And it's been running for the last 21 months. And in August of 2015, the main uh, protagonist reached what is called the Agreement on the Resolution of Conflict in South Sudan, ACTIS. And uh, 40 days after ACTIS was signed, on 2 October 2015, President um, Sovakir then announced by decree the establishment of 28 states. ACTIS had been signed on the basis of 10 states. However, what is happening in terms of the state is entirely not new. Since the liberation struggle period, there's always been talk of taking the town to the rural areas or increasing federalism. And hence, the ACIS, when it was signed, uh, provided two states to Riek Mashar of the SPLM uh, uh, in opposition, uh, and you have the SPLM in government, and then you have another faction, SPLM, former detainees. So the idea yeah. was out of the 10 existing states, SPLM in opposition would get two. But the two uh, are, are joined to South Sudan. This is the, you know, the uh, Unity State and John Glay State, uh, you know, Upper Nile. But they also, uh, um, you know, the question of oil, oil, ABA, the question which has not been settled is also in that region. So the two points, these states are adjacent to Sudan, Khartoum, which is perceived as uh, you know, supporting Reik Mashar's uh, SPLM-IO in opposition, but also it is located in this oil-rich region. And so the point was that uh, uh, in Addis, in the discussions, Reik Mashar had suggested dividing the country into 21 states. But the debate had been shelved to then be addressed by the transitional government, which is, you know, being put into place and shepherded by Botswana former president Festus Mohai. But 40 days after the agreement, then Tuvakir announced the 28 uh, uh, new states. Now, what has happened so far? It has created huge tensions. But I think it is a strategy to dilute the governorship, which is going to be allocated, uh, you know, to the, to the parties. But Festus uh, Mukhaya has come out to say he will uh, sideline that issue and expect the transitional government to then begin to address it. And so far, they've agreed amongst themselves to share out the 30 ministerial posts, uh, 16 states, uh, uh, posts going to the government, uh, uh, you know, uh, 10, 10 uh, posts going to Riek Mashar, and uh, another two going to former detainees, and another two going to civil society and NGOs, making the 30 ministerial states. So bottom line is that although the 28 states have been decreed by Salva Kiir, it is not new, but it is the, the timing 
and, and, and what is perceived as diluting what uh, EGAD, which is the East African you know, community, had negotiated to divide the 10 states, which have now been diluted into 28 states. Mm. Now, we know that Article 161 of the Transitional Constitution defines South Sudan as a territory composed of 10 states. And uh, do we know if uh, there was an amendment bill passed by the South Sudanese parliament to change the composition of that 10 states uh, composition? Because that's where the issue is, that it has to be done through a democratic process as well. The point is that because the country is in a civil war, the, the people that are in the National Assembly almost belong to one side, which is the SPLA-IG, SPLA in government. And whatever is put before them so far uh, has failed through. And as we speak, SPLA in opposition have agreed to take up the 10 states, but until they have taken uh, the most important states, interior ministry and security in Juba, they have not deployed their ministers. So in other words, Although we can acknowledge that it has to go through you know, legal processes, parliament, adoption, etc., uh, the country still, you know, the institutions are still you know, usually divided. And, and for now, uh, Silver Kiedis, uh decree, you know, we fail through the National you know, uh, uh, Assembly. Well, we're going to take a quick break and, and come back to some of those particular views, especially really look at the constitutional framework of this particular decision. And I think that you bring various interesting views, especially when it comes to the remarks and the response from uh, the main opposition. And we know that, as you highlighted, Rerek Machar reacted to this particular new development. Uh, right now, we are joined uh, by uh, Dr. Martin uh, Rupia, who is a researcher with the Institute of African Renaissance Studies from the University of South Africa. We're discussing the decision by South Sudanese President Salva Kiir to increase the number of states from 10 to 28. And this has triggered varying reactions, as we've heard from Dr. Martin Rupia. Is that what makes it complicated is the view that we are seeing a country that is still in strife when it comes to the civil war within the country itself. Do you think this is a good time to make such announcements and do you think at this particular time of South Sudan, South Sudan trying to define its politics trying to define its, its new nation should we be making such pronouncements that have already been made by President Salva Kiir? Give us your views SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero go to uh, Twitter you can interact with us there at African Dialogue that is our Twitter handle at African Dialogue. It's 11.15. Let's move on and uh, go for a quick break and we'll be back. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
You're listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Moshatama. African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember that we always try to bring you some experts, the best experts that we can get hold of to look and zoom into the big topics of the continent of Africa. Today we're going to South Sudanese. We know that that's our baby for the continent. It's the youngest uh, uh, country on the continent and it seems that it has had a lot of uh, challenges. The economy is under strain. We know that it's a war uh, zone region. We know that it has been pushed to the brink by Fermine. And now we see political strife really taking a hold of the country. And we know by the end of last year, there was a huge announcement that was made by South Sudanese President Salva Kiir to increase the states from 10 to 28. And this has triggered varying reactions from rebel leaders. Does it also actually create a stalemate for the political situation in the country. We know that things are very fragile. We know that months of negotiations have led to the internationally brokered deal, including a transitional government and a complex power-sharing formula in which rebels uh, get a share of seats at national and state levels. And Dr. Martin Rupia, researcher with the Institute of African Renaissance Studies, broke it well when we started the uh, program to really look at those uh, various dynamics. We now joined by our correspondent uh, here in Channel Africa, James Shimanula, who's an expert on South Sudanese uh, issues. He's been looking at that uh, area for many, many years. James, thank you for coming back to our program here on Channel Africa, African Dialogue. It's great to speak to you again. Yeah, thank you for welcoming me uh, on your show. Thank you. James, give us a little bit about where we are currently in terms of the latest developments when it comes to this particular issue of increasing regional states in the, the country. Where is the country now and what is the debate right now in South Sudan? Well, what is happening um, for the sake of our listeners is that um, South Sudan now does not have 10 states it has now 28 states. And the reason being that um, the president of the country, Salva Kiir, had uh, said in your introduction somewhere, as a result of a peace agreement that was signed um, by Riek Machado, the rebel leader, and the president himself, that particular peace agreement ended the 22 months of uh, conflict that has killed, according to the United Nations, um, uh, estimates more than 15,000 people, and then um, um, more than 2 million have left the country, the crossed into neighboring countries, uh, other countries, and uh, others taken refuge at the uh, United Nations uh, uh, camps. Now, leaving that, coming to, your, to the answer to your question, South Sudan has 28 states now as per the decree that was made by President Salva Kiir, and he did that um, saying that um, he wanted the country to become a federal state. Now, South Sudan, being a scholar of that country, having had 10 states, 10 states to our listeners made in Southern Africa region, uh, the other word for states means regions. In other words, you can say South Sudan had 10 regions, 
or South Sudan had any state. Now, what the president has done, he has created the three regions, Greater Equatorial, Greater Bahar and Ghazal, and the Greater Apennine. In the Greater Equatoria, he has put there eight new states. In the Greater Bahar and Ghazal, he has put ten states. And then in the Greater Apennine, he has uh, ten states. So that brings to 20, uh, 28 states. So that is uh, the only change he has brought to the country. Ironically, mm. painfully though, regrettably for me to say, is that Riek uh, Machal is not happy, he has already said, about the creation. Mm. Because he thinks, he thinks that some areas uh, where we have uh, certain tribes, chunk of land has been taken and given to another tribe. And church. In the long run, the splitting or division or the creation will uh, trigger uh, maybe tribal fighting because people will start saying, well, this was our land, sure. now it's on your side and mm. so on. But mm. it's in the long term. Mm. Well, let me let me yeah, let me take sure sure. Um, let, let me take this back to Dr. Martin Rupia, and I'll come back to you, James. Um, looking at that particular dynamic that is highlighted there by uh, James, Dr. Rupia, is the fact that we might see some uh, strife in terms of uh, land. Um, you know, people are very passionate about land on, on the continent, which land belongs to whom. But you also stated a very important factor earlier on when you started the interview, Doctor, is the fact that uh, the battleground states are unity in Upper Nile, the country's main oil production zones. I'm sure there's a danger around those particular areas and who's going to be in control of those particular uh, states. How could this dynamic actually create more of strife in uh, South Sudan? Uh, Benjamin, I think James is correct in citing that the three states, Greater Equatoria, Greater Ba or Gazar, and you know, Greater Nile, uh, have been subdivided. Uh, and these, the underlying dynamics are also political, but there's always been ethnic clashes. And there are perhaps three points that we can say around that. The first is that the devolution of power, as it were, of this federalism, will perhaps result in increased intercommunal uh, disputes and, and deadly fights uh, between Dinka and Nur, which has happened before. And, and secondly, certain cities have been taken out of old existing counties into the new one. For example, Malakal, which is the capital of you know, you know, uh, uh, Eastern, you know, East Nile, has now been taken out and replaced in a new, you know, one of these new states. Uh, so this ethnic federalism is likely to increase strife. But I think an important point to take away from this discussion is that the main protagonists on the issue appear to have agreed to continue to enter into the transitional arrangement and allow a further discussion of this divisive issue to be tackled during the transitional government. And these are the points that uh, Fesas Moher, who is the chairman of the Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Committee, you know, has said. He has said, look, this issue will not be dealt with now. 
let's go forward, let's create a new government of national unity. And for me, the more danger uh, area is in fact to create a new integrated army and police such that you will have people from Reik Masha, you know, going back to Juba, going back to parliament and, and going forward. But certainly we take the three points that James uh, has alluded to, that um, what has happened in both three states, uh, uh, you know, Upper Nile, Jonglei, and Unity States, creates more problems. And there's always been traditionally intercommunal, you know, you know violence, which is quite deadly in South Sudan. Mm. And also another impact is the is the war that we're seeing in the country. I know that the Amian rebels have repeated uh, traded blame, accusing each other of breaking the ceasefire. And I've also heard a little bit about this agreement or this development also being a disagreement of the main uh, agreements that were actually came from uh, the beginning of this whole process. Coming to you, James Shimanyul, in terms of the army and the rebels, how have they responded to this development? I say looking at South Sudan, as I told you, it's a country I've lived for seven years. I was there during the battle, the 20 years, 20 years of fighting. Hence, um, um, I wrote um, a book on that. So, to answer your question, I think um, I'm happy to your expert. I mean, he seems to be knowing a lot about South Sudan, and uh, I wish him to become another wonderful scholar, you know, mm-hmm. very versatile and very conversant with uh, what goes uh, on in South Sudan. Sure. And in fact, speaking about uh, citing out Malakan, uh, because, you know, Malakan was uh, formerly in the Apennine region, the former Apennine region, but now it's... Uh, Lumped in the greater Apennine region, uh, which has um, ten states, as you said, Malakan being uh, the capital. Anyway, just to answer your question, the point is this: we are in the days to come. Uh, first of all, let me go back to what uh, um, our commentator said. Mohai, first Mohai, the former Botswana president, is treading very carefully because. In fact, as I speak to you, he's either on his way to Addis Ababa or he's in Juba uh, trying to sort out with the Indians on the issue of creating those states. He has said it and he's uh, hard as saying he's not happy because that is an impediment to the peace agreement. And the peace agreement does not allow the president to use a decree to create those states. However, uh, that issue will be sorted out. And as you may have heard uh, at the outset, and the point is that they want to create the uh, new government on the 22nd of January, and looking at my calendar, that will be on Friday. Once they do that, Machar will be there. They the distributed or allocated the fact in ministries giving the president 16 and the giving Riek Machar 10, giving the former detainees uh, in the 11 anyway, two posts and mm. ministries, and then giving um, an alliance of 18 smaller parties too, so that is 30 cabinet ministers. Now, once the government is 
see some tribal uh, lines or undercurrents coming out of South Sudan in the following way. One, we have a newel under the Dinka. Much of the land is either taken from this or the other side or vice versa. They will start now quarreling over their ancestral land. That's another issue that both of them will have to face. Number two, we have the so-called Arab boys. They behave like um, the Gilantes in uh, South Sudan. They will start claiming their share. We have smaller, smaller groups of um, uh, soldiers who rebelled during the conflict. They have their own groups. So we are going to see a stable government, I repeat, very stable government, with a president here as president, with Riek Machara bouncing back as vice president, and then we are going to see them dealing with a very, very explosive situation because we shall have resistance from those groups I've mentioned, but the army uh, of both sides will remain um, intact. I don't think they'll quarrel because they are being monitored by Western mm -hmm. and this group. Mm -hmm. So in short, the government will be stable, but we are going to have some kind of uh, political and military undercurrents via or through uh, smaller resistance groups that um, uh, are not going to crop up. They are there, hiding in the wings, in the bushes, just to come and say, hey, look here, you forgot us, eh? Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to continue this particular discussion. Also, when it comes to resources and does the country have the capacity to actually accommodate these 28 states? Because when you speak about states, you're not just talking about just uh, creation of uh, uh, zones themselves, but you need to also think about infrastructural development. You have to start thinking about also uh, how municipal and local uh, um, you know, governance is going to take place in that particular space. Does this actually, uh, is this the right time to actually embark on such a big project? And that's what some analysts are actually questioning. We need to think about actually working on a, a fair agreement, working on election, proper elections before we actually embark on such a big project. But we've got uh, James Shimanula, who's our Channel Africa news correspondent and also an author on uh, South Sudanese issues. And also we've got Dr. Martin Rupia, the researcher with the Institute of African Renaissance Studies from the University of South Africa. They're going to stay with us and we're going to take a quick break and then we'll continue this very fascinating, fascinating conversation with them. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
Yes, this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 902 on the audio bouquet. Don't forget that you can actually listen to us online. That's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And if you're listening to us on our shortwave service, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. Time right now, uh, it is 11.32. That's Central African time, Central African time. And uh, we're right here in Johannesburg broadcasting from the Auckland Park studios right here at the SABC. Today, we're speaking about the South Sudan, President Salva Kiir ordering the number of regional states to be nearly tripled. His spokesperson confirmed that last year. And this could undermine a fundamental pillar of power sharing deals to end civil war, as was highlighted there by James Chimanula before our break, who's joining us alongside Dr. Martin Rupia, the researcher with the Institute of African Renaissance Studies from UNISA, that is the University of uh, South Africa. Dr. Martin Rupia, before the break, I was looking at the issue of actually looking at the idea of development is the country ready to invest in such a big decision and there's a lot of states here that we're talking about do we have the capacity or should we take a one-step approach and deal with one thing deal with the war deal with um, the democratic processes of the country then i'm sure that we can move on into increasing states your thoughts are around the, the capacity issue uh, very quickly benjamin i wish to thank james for his kind comments for many of us doing research, when you hear the positive impact, you know, one is grateful. <laughs> but to go back to your question, the tragedy with many of our countries, and especially the youngest uh, independent African countries of Sudan, is that when we talk about expanding states from 10 to 28, we are talking about resources. In South Sudan, its main uh, uh, reliance commodity is oil. Now, many of us will know Oil prices have dropped to the lowest point, $32 you know, dollars a barrel you know, yesterday or the day before, uh, unprecedented. So there's very little resources to share around. And it seems that in the civil war, in the noise, in the violence, the, the availability or the uh, question of uh, uh, husbanding resources is lost. And so it's a tragedy for many of us who are Pan-Africans, who are looking at the conflict in South Sudan, there will be very little to spare towards development because the oil price has collapsed. That would be my view. And, of course, the security situation, as it stands, does not allow for now people to go about and do their normal business. That's interesting. And also, uh, the whole idea of already there are scarce resources and investment into South Sudan. Not a lot of investment is made in, in South Sudan. For So structurally, I'm sure that will bring a lot of challenges. And, and let me take that back to you, James, in terms of the issue of capacity. And, and, and it's very interesting that Dr. Martin Rupia speaks about the economy because it is the two are related. Maybe if I can um, take it from um, um, your commentator, Martin. Uh, the point is that um, when we speak of resources, I'm only adding um, um, a little weight to what sure, you say. Sure, sure. Uh, when it comes to resources in South Sudan, first of all, since independence four years ago, 
the resources that are there that are coming from um, mainly oil products have never benefited the common person. People are still extremely poor. I told you at the outset that I've lived in the country. The people of South Sudan that are now smiling all the way to the banks are the rich. The people who have made money out of um, uh, corruption, I'm sorry to say that, uh, those that were in the government. But you know, uh, since the government is going to be an evolved one with the federal state, I think uh, greater, if I'm not mistaken, greater upper line uh, where great majority is going to be uh, calling the shots uh, because that is his birthplace. Uh, luckily for him, or I don't know whether it was in a department for President in petroleum. Petroleum ministry is actually given to Machar's group. And then we have interior and the federal affairs and then uh, water resources and irrigation. If he can use those ministries properly and given that he's a veteran fighter and um, an experienced uh, uh, person is well learned. I think the resources in that area will benefit people who have been forgotten for many years. As I said, I don't know whether it was a mistake for the president to do that, or he did it deliberately, or he did it just to ensure that he uh, has a chance to distribute resources to his people. But I'm afraid to say the other regions may not benefit because I know both of them have lived with them in the bushes. Uh, there will still be some kind of enmity. Take that anywhere, and I can argue if I'm writing a paper that the government, as I said, will be stable, but enmity will continue between the newer and the Dinka, the tribe of the president, and the newer the tribe of um, Rietmachan. Mm -hmm. And um, at a certain stage, uh, there may be some conflict some conflict. Conflict derived from distribution of resources uh, to the federal states. Some may benefit more than others. Mm. And then we are going to have a problem of um, uh, locating fees in the government. They are going to be in thousands. It's time for us to eat, Riek Makar, people will say. Our time you are trying to beat him. So he will capitalize on the ministries he has and the power he has as a vice president. I think we lost someone on the line. I think it was James himself there. We're actually speaking, James, from outside the country. So uh, let's come back to you uh, and just uh, wrap it up with you, Dr. Rupia. Uh, this is how we're going to wrap up the program. We only have five minutes left anyway. And uh, looking at some of the points that... Uh, James highlighted the distribution of wealth in the country. That's a big issue. Just moving forward, because we are a Pan-African radio station, and sometimes we don't want to end um, 
shows with just the problems and the issues. But how do we move on when it comes to South Sudan? What are the key areas that we need to see for us to see this country actually coming to a form of stabilization and also coming to a form where there is a a sense of uh, moving forward for the sake of the people? Because when you look at the country, South Sudan, you're seeing a lot of migration, you're seeing a lot of poverty in the country and a lot of suffering from ordinary citizens there. For us to move on, I'm sure it's not just the creation of states that needs to take place, but we need to see sustainable governance. I think you are right, because when we discuss these issues, we must not paint a bleak picture and then walk away. I think we do need to recognize the positives that are taking place around the crisis. And I think one of them is that... uh, both the African Union, the East African uh, uh, you know, community, EGAD, and the United Nations have not given up on South Sudan. And that's an important, I think, point of departure for the future and for you know, uh, the, the current process. And so where we have achieved the axis, which I referred to, the, the agreement for conflict resolution uh, in South Sudan in August, I think that is the first basis of going forward. The second basis is, of course, where we have managed as the international community, as the African continent, to convince the key players to come together and form a transitional government. I think that is a very you know, important positive that we must not uh, lose sight of. And, of course, building, building on that platform of the transitional government is then a process of going forward to create new institutions that speak to the national character of South Sudan. And after that, one hopes the process will then go through elections where the people will select their own leaders who will then take charge, the full responsibility of taking South Sudan forward. But for now, those signs in terms of the agreement that is in place, uh, the willingness of the protagonists to come to the party, uh, the continued engagement of IGAD, of the African Union, of the UN, with the crisis in South Sudan, I think those are very important factors. And for many of us, we continue to hope and to look towards, uh, you know, complete and close engagement with the actors and with the process, such that perhaps in five years, seven years, South Sudan will be able to come crisis and become a fully independent state. Uh, which we had witnessed in July of 2011, but now many of us are slightly disappointed. But the point to talk to take away, Benjamin, is that Africa and the international community, especially uh, the whole of Africa, the leaders there, they are taking very active interest in deploying their own resources to help South Sudan to come out of the political security and socio-economic crisis. Well, thank you for giving us your time, and I'm sure that we'll speak to you once again, Dr. Martin Rupia. It's always a pleasure having you here in Channel Africa and partnering up with you as you give us your time to give us your expertise. We always appreciate having you on our program, and uh, have a great day, and Happy New Year's to you, because this is the first time we speak to you in 2016. Thanks to you and your listeners. Thank you.
Fantastic. That was Dr. Martin Rupia, the researcher with the Institute of African Renaissance Studies uh, from the University of uh, South Africa. Earlier on, we had James Shimanyula, Channel Africa's newest correspondent and also an author, joining us uh, from uh, uh, the line there. Hey, give us your thoughts. Hey, do you think that this is a good idea right now when we're seeing a civil war in uh, uh, South Sudan? Do you think that this is the time for us to create more states? The challenges of economy are big there in the country and also the challenges of governance are one that's still uh, not moving forward quickly enough for us to see a settlement in the country. Give us your views. Plus two seven uh, seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Or interact with us on our social media. Remember, you can find us at African Dialogue. That's our handle, at African Dialogue. We're asking you the question today. Do you think it's a good idea for uh, this uh, decision by President Salva Kiir to increase the number of states to 10 to 28? And it's triggered varying reactions from uh, rebel leaders. Give us your thoughts there. And don't forget our handle on Channel Africa, at Channel Africa 1. That's the numeric one at the end, at Channel Africa 1. We're going to take a quick break. I know that my friend is with us uh, to give us our economics updates, and uh, we'll get our economic updates just quickly after this quick break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, Wisani Matebula is with us to give us our econ. Good morning. Thanks, uh, Benjamin. South Africa has up until March uh, the 15th uh, to fully comply with the U.S. over its poultry and other meat imports. This follows U.S. President Barack Obama's order for the suspension of duty-free treatment to all AGOA-eligible goods in the agricultural sector from South Africa, effective on that date. Sources in the industry say the suspension will be revoked should South Africa not fully comply with the requirements under AGOA. It's an effect, another 60-day deadline for South Africa to aim towards. Our correspondent, Kate Fisher. Well, I spoke to the National Security Council here in Washington, and they made it clear to me that they were not yet suspending South Africa's AGOA benefits, but rather setting a new 60-day deadline for South Africa to comply. The office of the U.S. Trade Representative, uh, I also spoke to them, and they told me that if the remaining benchmark, which is the entry of U.S. poultry into South Africa under the agreed-upon conditions, is met before March the 15th, then the president will be able to consider a revocation of that proclamation before any suspension can take effect. Meanwhile, South Africa has failed to meet uh, the initial deadline of the 31st uh, to finalize the trade negotiations. The impasse over health concerns for American meat imports. Under AGOA, sub-Saharan nations get duty-free access to the American market. 
Zimbabwe is getting a 300 megawatt energy boost from South Africa's power utility ESCOM. This comes as China reportedly agreed to release funds for the refurbishment of Zimbabwe's Huange thermal power station. The Zambezi River Authority has uh, reduced its water allocation to Zimbabwe's power utility by a third, and the government is making frantic efforts to close the gap. Meanwhile, according to the latest World Bank focus, the Zimbabwe's economy is expected to rebound in 2016. The group's global economic prospects sees the annual gross domestic product growth rate tripling. It's good news for the country, which is battling a drought and shrinking national cake that saw government fail to pay civil servant salaries on time in December. Shinga Inyoga has more. After Zimbabwe's economy nosedived in 2015, sparking fears of a recession, there is some positive news on the horizon. The World Bank's Global Economic Prospects forecasts that annual GDP growth will almost triple to 2.8%. Zimbabwe's own forecast is slightly lower at 2.7% on the back of an improvement in mining, tourism, construction and the financial services sectors. And Sudan's inflation rate has eased to 12.58% from a revised 12.8% in November. Prices have soared in Sudan after South Sudan seceded in 2011. As an oil importer, Sudan has benefited from the fall in global oil prices since last year. And closing off this bulletin, we're looking at your financial indicators. The rent at 16.30 to the US dollar, 11.33 Botswana Pula and 10.95 against the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at uh, 0.68 to the British pound and 0.91 against the euro. Commodities now gold at $1,097, platinum $841 a fine ounce, and the price of Brent crude oil is at $31.22 per barrel. That's how it's looking this hour, back in an hour's time with another update. Well, now let's move on and uh, get our sports. Uh, we've got Musibudi Makura standing by. Thank you, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with football news, Barcelona forward Lionel Messi has won the FIFA Ballon d'Or award for the world's best player for a fifth record time. The 28-year-old Argentine had 41.33% of the vote, with Real Madrid forward Cristiano Ronaldo in second with 27.76% of the vote, and Barcelona's Neymar in third with 7.86% of the vote. Messi extended his record haul of world player of the year awards with his fifth after winning the treble which consisted of the La Liga, the Copa de la Rai as well as the Champions League with Barcelona in 2014 and 2015. United States midfielder Carly Lloyd was um, who scored a hat-trick at the Women's World Cup last year won the Women's Award. Meanwhile Barcelona coach Louis Enrique won the, woman, um, the World Coach of the Year Award after leading his side to five of the six trophies on offer in 2015 while United States coach Jill Ellis was named Women's Football World Coach of the Year after leading her country to World Cup glory. 
South Africa could win their first Olympic rowing medal from the women crew if Ursula Hobler as well as Kirsten McCann are in the same form at this year's Rio Olympic Games, which they showed during last year's World Rowing Championships. Hobler and McCann became the first women crew to win a medal at a World Championship when they finished third in the lightweight women's double skulls in France. Hobler says they share the same belief as national coach Roger Barrow that they can win at this year's Rio Olympics. Well, I think at the end of the day, I mean, we have the same goal. We want a medal. We want gold. Roger wants medals. So, I mean, I think we are very focused on the, the same thing. And then we are such an amazing team vibe. So, you know, where Roger wants many medals, we want our... our um, partners or you know whoever our team to do well so we want everyone to get medals so i think there's a very nice synergy happening with what we all want Hobla believes that the lessons learned from participation in the world championships over the past two years will be valuable going to the rio olympics and they will use them in stepping stones to the podium finish in rio you just have to keep stepping up your game and what i feel more positive about is we didn't almost we, you know we didn't get the medal but soon we got a medals and then we qualified for the olympics and then we got this medal so these are all very good steps in the right direction although you must understand i mean ultimately for us it's gold at the olympics so these things are just for us seen as stepping stones to get to the right place on to cricket news, the South African Proteus coach Russell Domingo says it is business as usual for the squad as they prepare for the third Sunfall Test match against England starting at the Bidvitz Wanderer Stadium on Thursday. Domingo says the change in captaincy does, hasn't, had much, uh, hasn't had too much of an effect on the squad, which is focused on building on their improved performance in the second test in Cape Town. Domingo confirmed that Dale Stern would miss the third test after failing to recover from a shoulder injury, and it says it's an opportunity for the player coming in to make a mark and strive to be as a good bowler as Stain. Stain has been given a week's rest on the advice of the medical team. And finally, in wheelchair tennis news, South Africa and world number 13 Evans Mariba is through to the second round of the Apia International Sydney Open after defeating Korea's Ho Woon M6 Love 6-1 on Tuesday morning. Wheelchair tennis South Africa's public relations manager Anthony Murutani has the details. However, um, South African top men's player Evans Mariba played his first match today against Ho Woon M of Korea where he beat uh, him at six love six one to advance to the second round. The Zaya Sports News at the South stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, if all goes well, tomorrow we'll be looking at uh, the Rwanda story. We're going to be looking at Rwanda, looking at uh, the president's call for an extra term. And it's very interesting developments there. So we'll focus on that theme tomorrow. So do join us at 11 o'clock Central African time. Uh, same place right here on the Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, remember that. Uh, go to our website for more. If you want to hear more of our program today, and if you just missed it, today we're speaking about South Sudan increasing its state. 
states is the country ready for that kind of decision go to our website www.channelafrica.co.za you can go to our multimedia section and also there you'll see our various programs from french to portuguese to our english programs and you'll find african dialogue there and you can just click on african dialogue and you can stream the entire program including our news we never take out our news i think some people miss the news of the day before so it's kind of a historical documentation for us so you'll get the news you'll get our sports everything there will be on our podcast so go to that african dialogue multimedia section from me benjamin mushatam until tomorrow god bless